welcome to the season 2 of the in your shoes podcast the podcast aims to get into the shoes of a person like you and me and learn from their career stories and experiences through this conversation we will uncover insights and pearls of wisdom which will hopefully inspire you and expand your thinking we're doing something different this season apart from a full length show we will also expand on topics of interest that emerge during the conversation these will be distributed as special episodes which are short targeted and provide you with the context when you are short on time let us get right into it on the show today i have simon he's an experienced professional in the field of learning and development and i met him during my time at zalando I'm so excited to have Simon as a guest today. Welcome to the podcast Simon. Yeah, hey, Vivek, thanks for having me. So Simon, share a little bit about of yourself. What's your story and what do you do for a living? Yeah, well, um so my name is Simon Fulber or Fulber if you're in Germany. Um lucky enough to have dual citizenship, German and Canadian citizenship. and i'm born and raised in vancouver canada and oh i had i guess my story what can i tell about my story maybe yeah having never really lived outside a 10 km radius from where i was born uh was pretty much a vancouver uh vancouverite through and through lived there like i said uh, for quite a number of years up till i was 36 and um worked actually for one company for 16 years lived in the same apartment for 12 So I had this real uh what felt like entrenched life in Vancouver, beautiful city, lot all my family and friends are there. So fantastic. And then at 36, I um left the company I was working for uh for 16 years. The apartment I was living in for 12 uh was being um demolished and uh, was sold off and was being demolished. And so I had to move out and it was time for me to make some decisions and actually At 36 years old I moved uh, across the world and took advantage of my dual citizenship and uh, found myself in Berlin. And so I've been in Berlin since 2012 with a year back in um Canada from 2015. Most of my time in terms of professional life has been in learning development. I started um in the learning development area around 2002 so I've been there since uh, since that time so almost 20 years now. um i've worked in europe i worked mostly as sort of a freelancer uh but then joined zalando for three and a half years uh in their people products department uh before then moving on from there and recently joined an organization called smartly.io and uh helping to run their global lnd uh through 16 offices about a smaller company than zalando about 500 employees but nevertheless with all the different time zones that we have from across uh, across the world uh it presents different challenges in terms of uh how we run our program so that's a little i guess that's my kind of back story and how i got to where i'm at now but uh learning development has has been was this awesome passion of mine and i'm pretty privileged to be in that industry for as long as i have been brilliant that's actually a very interesting journey having to move your entire life and belonging to a completely different part of the world after 36 years uh How, what was your experience having to move uh your entire existence to completely different place altogether at the age of 
I'm assuming to Berlin. What was that experience like for you? Um, I would say very humbling, very exciting. Um, I'd always wanted to live abroad. I had, I had planned to um, try to go to the United States for school. It didn't work out. And then I ended up staying back in Vancouver. Uh, but I had sort of always had this, this, this longing for living abroad or living away from from really somewhere where I grew up and was quite comfortable in being in. So, I mean, 36, the age is, age is just a number high. That's what I always say. I was, I mean, I was in a different, I was in a life situation that also made it somewhat um, easier, if you will. I, I didn't, I didn't have children or a spouse or, um, so it was, it wasn't as if I had to move a lot of things. So in some ways that move across was easier. I mean, I had to move out. So that made it easier in terms of getting rid of furniture and, and letting go of some of my possessions, um, that was going to have to be happening anyways. So uh, it, there were some things that made that that move a little bit easier in terms of things that I let go of. But coming obviously to Europe, I hadn't learned German. My parents are German, and uh, we never learned it growing up or spoke it at home. And so, but I had heard it a lot, and so I was picking it up. So I actually, when I got here, I was I was busy learning German and practicing it. And I think probably for me, what was a bit difficult, but also really exciting was trying to find communities that I could become part of in order to find a place here in Berlin. And I think Berlin is such a city that where there's so many different people from so many different walks of life and, and countries and and international flavor and setting. But I also wanted to get a, a sense of being somebody that maybe would make a life here over a period of time. And so I made a real conscious effort of reaching out to communities. And so for me, sports is a big community and I played baseball since I was four. So I ended up finding a baseball club here in Berlin that I joined. And then soon after that had made some really wonderful friends, um, studied and practiced learning German as well. And it's been amazing just through those circles and those communities that they really helped me to integrate into the city. So in the long, you know, in the longer run, uh, Berlin is really home for me now. And I feel that, but I think without having kind of sought out those communities, it would have made it a lot tougher. I mean, this is amazing to hear that. I think uh, personally, I've spoken to so many people who had both good and bad experience. Uh, moving to a new place, myself, uh, I moved out 2012, I would say, also out of India. So I, I came from, came, come from India, lived in the East Asia for five years and then moved to Berlin. And I think I really echo your point around uh, investing in the local communities and that, that makes your life easier to settle in mm. and also makes you part of the land. It makes you feel that you are part of something of the land that you, you are in at the moment. So totally echo that point. I would, however, take an opportunity to talk, to just talk, to you about your passion, as you said, learning and development. For the people who don't understand, like what does a career in learning and development mean? So what do you do and what is what is your job as someone in learning and development? Yeah, I mean, obviously there's there's the different levels, but uh, essentially if you look at the, the pure essence of what learning and development is in, in many organizations is really trying to understand um, 
Number one, what are the capabilities that are needed across the organizations, the skills, the knowledge uh, that are needed across the organization? And then how are those um, capabilities built when it comes from a, a learning and development perspective? How are they not only, um, how are we building sort of products? I like to call it products, actually. I'm trying to really um, develop sort of a product mindset when it comes to learning development interventions. But how do we de develop learning and development interventions that are going to build these capabilities for individuals, but also the organization, right? So if you look at, um, you know, maybe the organization is moving in a different direction. May it be, you know, how or what type of products they're offering or services they're offering. And then therefore, the, the employees need to shift in terms of their um, skills as well as their knowledge and comfort and, and confidence towards another direction. So learning development really plays a role to help to identify what that possible gap is and how it can be addressed. And so learning interventions are simply, yes, your standard classroom or workshop sessions, but they're also uh, everything from the online perspective. E-learning, which has definitely taken a, 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 got a big lift from the COVID world and whatnot, but or online webinars or, or live meetings through, through uh, things like Zoom and meetings and Skype and whatnot. Those are our interventions as well. But uh, but this also includes things like podcasts, like short videos or what they call micro learning or things like job aids or tools or questionnaires to help people through tasks. Those would also be learning and interventions. And then they go scale on the way up to some of the bigger things that you may think of when you think of learning interventions or, or, or learning and development, such as leadership development programs. So how full programs for people that are maybe getting into leadership for the first time or people who are in leadership to keep their, their skills and um, their knowledge up to date. How, do, how are those things done? So learning develop incorporates a lot of those different things. We spend a lot of time on the actual hands-on design, you know, discover, design and deliver and evaluate the, the solutions that we provide to make sure that they're fitting not only the needs of the company, but the needs of the people as learners. Uh, on the other side, we spend a lot of time on culture. So we spend a lot of time, you know, helping to promote or um, enhance different attributes of a company's culture. So, for example, bringing in a coaching culture for leaders to really be coaches to their employees. That's something that we would spend a lot of time on both as an intervention, but then maybe in terms of campaigns. So we would also spend a lot of time on focused on some of the cultural elements that need to be uh, enhanced within the organization. Thank you. That's pretty interesting take on the whole field. And I'm glad that you talked about uh, learning and development intervention. But just to also just go a little detail on this term itself, why do you phrase this as an intervention? Oh, boy. Uh, you know what? Probably because I've read it enough times that it's an intervention, to be honest. I also, I that's a, that's a good question. I think most likely where it comes from when it comes from interventions is when we as learning and development professionals think about what we're doing, we, we, we often want to try to address a gap or a need, right? So you'll hear the terms needs analysis, gap analysis is something that we would, that often learning development professionals will use in their vocabulary. And I guess interventions is a way to address, we intervene in helping people get to a new level of performance or achieve a different level of develop, uh, have a higher level of development uh, within their careers or within their job in the, in the current time. So I think interventions are ways to sort of address the needs or gaps that we have identified. Um, quite frankly, it's, it's 
uh, I don't know exactly the word when it comes to if it's interventions, but one of the things I always find fascinating about learning and development is that when you think about or you hear a lot about some of the core theories or concepts around learning development, a lot of them stem from, of all places, the U.S. military. Um, the U.S. military, uh, a lot of the things that we do in learning development have some form of basis. Even the term soft skills comes from the U.S. military as they were trying to define what are the skills that some of their leaders or soldiers or officers would need that go beyond the fixing of machinery or uh, utilization of weaponry. They were looking at how did they say they codify that set of skills beyond those uh, hard skills, if you will, and they said they, they coined it soft skills. So it's funny that, you know, where these terms come from, sometimes it's always a surprise. And I always find it interesting that the the, the U.S. military have such a, a strong presence in learning development. But when you think about it, trying to train or get somebody to learn something in the heat of battle or in the heat of the moment as, as they do, uh, that takes uh, a lot of really, really um, profound design and and good ability to be able to deliver the result that could ultimately save somebody's life. This is actually, uh, and I was never aware of this fact that the whole term soft and hard skills really come from U.S. military. I'm glad that I know now. And uh, I think it also gives me an interesting segue that we can come back to a little point in time in our conversation is, is this whole point about training someone in the middle of a, in the heart of a battle, right? So uh, how do we do that? So, but I want to kind of pin this at a, at this point in time, but when we come back to it, but um, I would also love, love to learn more about why do you see this as your passion? So why it's a passion for you? Yeah, I guess for me, it's a, it's a bit. Um, so on the one side, I have a passion for helping organizations and individuals like uh achieve something uh i enjoy the the role of the guide on the side um in in what learning development can really provide is like how do i help organizations and individuals achieve something that they maybe didn't think was achievable and i think that's part of where i get really my passion for it when i'm talking about the work environment i some people look at for example uh in sales roles i'll, I'll also find you know people in sales roles are very ambitious and hungry in not only to to get the sale for the sake of making the money but also to make sure that the customer gets everything that they need um, and can benefit from whatever product and service that they're selling that was how sales was taught to me and i think about it the same way when i think about learning and development is is how can i help people to to access to to grow uh, in order to achieve the things that they are setting out to achieve be that an organization or be that an individual be that a team lead so those are one things that those are that's one one area that's really motivated me or got me passionate about the subject area it also comes from very personal stories it comes from for me um, growing up I I struggled um, a lot with um, formal education, uh, particularly in my early years, I really struggled uh, to adapt to the to the schoolroom environment, to the classroom environment. I was showing um, an ability to do certain things such as reading and mathematics kind of early on. And it really, I remember um, being in special classrooms with special teachers, um, 
I remember distinctly at five in kindergarten joining a group of kids that were, I think, yeah, probably around, oh, I would say, yeah, at least close to eight or nine and building a, a game, for example. And I remember coming home and I still have that game, the monster meeting game. My mom has it. The The monster meeting game was a game that I built and I was at five years old. And and so I really struggled to fit into the, the classroom environment uh, that was presented to me at school. And that was really difficult. It was really difficult for my family because my mom coming from Germany, she had just moved there to Canada from Germany and didn't really have the same uh, grasp of not only English, but just the, the school system and, and where and how she could she could maybe seek things out. So for me, learning development's always been something that's near and dear to my heart. I really thrive on 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 finding ways to to help people grasp concepts, practice skills, um, acquire knowledge that and in whatever way, you know, I don't I don't believe in thinking outside the box. I believe that we all belong in it. We're all in the box and that we just sometimes um, have to have different um, uh, solutions to the problems that we're seeking. So for me, the passion comes from trying to find out ways where some people that maybe are struggling with getting certain, certain topics, um, I can find ways through my facilitation or through building a course or through presenting a piece of material or intervention of another, another sort, I can help them to sort of uh, achieve their learning goals. Um, and I found, I found with, adult education and, and in the corporate world, there's a lot more possibility for that flexibility and that creativity than there actually was in more of a setting such as being a, a, a teacher in either a high school or elementary school setting. And so I kind of decided that my passion was really driven towards adult and, and corporate education because they were worlds that I could play with in the creativity sense. So what I hear is this is not just this a topic that you pursue as a career, but it has a personal meaning for you, given your early experience. Um, if I may ask you, like the early experience that you mentioned with formal classroom-based teaching that you had, how has it shaped you as a person to now address learning and development in, in corporations, in organizations where you work with? Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, when I was a kid and I was going through that school program and the difficulties, I, I, I having spoke to the, to the professionals that, are, that, that I know that are, whether they're headmasters or principals within school systems or teachers, definitely has changed so that that wouldn't necessarily have the same um, consequence. But I think, I think for me, what I get um, an opportunity for then is within within the corporate setting, people are trying to perform to do their work and and uh, and to do a job and to do a job well and also to to progress in that job or progress within the organization. And so there's a lot at stake in it for them. Um, the The stakes are quite high if they're not able to um, if they're not able to grasp something. And I think that. Um, Adults in the, in and of themselves bring so much when they're when they're when you're trying to learn something as an adult, there's just so much history or as some people like to call baggage that we carry with us into those situations that oftentimes don't allow us to maybe see things as clearly as possible because of prior history, past experience, all these things that maybe cloud our ability to see as clearly a certain situation. So having the ability to help 
formulate or or or, or switch the situation, the learning intervention to a different in a different way to so that people can see it and can grasp what they need to know. I think that's that's what really gets me um, going. That's really what I see is opportunity, like an opportunity, because oftentimes companies want their people to get the most uh, possible out of training. Where I'm, where I think sometimes the struggle is, is if 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 the organization deems that one type of training is going to do it, then you might run into a problem. But if it's more of a they accept that inter like learning is a process and not an event, and it's not just about putting people in events, but rather accepting that the learning process could take is shorter or longer depending on the person and depending on their background. I think with that kind of philosophy at at hand. Um, Companies can do quite well for themselves, so that they're not they're not disappointed by the results or getting people on board or or or, or operating in a way that they want them to. So, Simon, can you, if it's possible, give an example on how you, as a learning and development professional, in a corporate environment, an organization? created this intervention for people uh, when they wanted to achieve something or reach to a state of growth. So how does that, if you can give an example or, or through an through a, through a experience that you had, mm -hmm. give how did it happen? So what happens if I, mm -hmm. as an employee in a company, come to you and say that, Simon, I want to grow into a leader, for example. Uh, what would be your intervention in this case for me to pursue and to reach that desired end state for me as myself? Wow, that's a loaded one. Um, <laughs> first, I'd probably tell you you're already a leader. <laughs> that, and I'm hoping that would work for you, but I know that it wouldn't. So I'd have to, I'd have to think. The inter, I mean, it's not so much an intervention. I think it's interventions. Uh, I also think it's more about so taking that concept of learning as a process and not an event, um, I think when 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 I've been I've often been approached, for example, with people who are saying, "Hey, I want to grow. I want to be a formal leader." You know. So what I mean by leader, let's maybe define that. Oftentimes, people when they say they want to be a leader, they're talking about being somebody's boss. You know, being 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 able to tell somebody what to do. Not that they, that's only what they want to do, but that they oftentimes, a lot of people that have, have asked about that don't come up and say, I want to be a leader. That doesn't necessarily mean I don't want to lead people. It's usually tied with leading people. Um, I think that, you know, it's really conditioned upon the person and, you know, what industry or what their organization is doing. But at the heart, I think the first things first is the first intervention, if you will, is the intervention of learning oneself. So I think the first set of recommended interventions that I would have for somebody that like yourself, if you came to me and said, hey, I want to be a leader, I would say, well, let's talk about that. What exactly does that mean? Let's define what you mean by leader. Uh, that's definitely uh, and and. From that process of not only definition of what it what they're talking about, it's also becomes a little bit ball. One of the first the key steps to leadership in any in any sense, whether it's formal leadership of people or non, is the understanding of self. And so, very often in terms of leadership programs that I, that we've developed, we would really focus on self uh, self awareness as a key key 
cornerstone for any sort of uh, project. So without knowing oneself, it's going to be really hard to go through a journey of leadership development. So whether those interventions are, are psychometrics testings or whether those interventions are business simulations, um, we used to run one uh, business simulation at an organization I work for called Is Management for Me, where we put people through two hours of what it would actually feel like to have to manage people. And that meant we hired actors, we had, uh, you know, emails, you had to read 10 emails in 10 minutes, uh, and then be able to summarize them for a boss that was coming in in 10 minutes. Oh, by the way, we would also put, you know, we'd have two people uh, pretending to be their employees come in with problems that would interrupt them. So we would simulate this experience so that they could understand, okay, that's sort of a flavor of what it is. Um, how did you feel about that? What was your experience? What what did you draw from that? What does that say about you? Is that, you know, would you be able to handle these sort of things or not? And if so, um, uh, how do you proceed further? So self the, the self-awareness component is the first intervention around leadership development. And then I think where it goes from there is oftentimes uh, the interventions may be that we focus on, for example, bringing that self-awareness into a cohort group, like so a group of other people also looking to do the same thing so that the could enhance the self-awareness so that it's not just you looking at yourself, but rather having that, sharing that with other people so that they can reflect back to you whether or not the things that you have found to be true in your self-awareness journey are actually what they see as well. So that would be a, definitely another component that or an intervention that would be brought about. And then it obviously goes to more about um, as you move into some of the mechanics of uh, whether it's either leading a business function or leading people. So oftentimes the things, the interventions we've designed are, so you understand yourself more and how you work. Now let's talk about that in terms of how you work with others, how you work with a team, how you lead a team, if you will. And so bringing the interventions there are highly experiential as you may have had in some of your sessions, they're highly experiential. We get people to, you know, work through or talk through scenarios, both as a group, but as, as individuals to come to some sort of sense of what that, what that means. And then as well as um, the intervention has to be brought into reality. So how can they then um, take this experiential learning and these opportunities that they've had to sort of get a flavor for leadership and how could they actually apply that in a session? And this is interesting because a lot of times people will think, okay, I, uh, well, I'm ready for, after such sort of experiential training, I'm ready for a position, let me go. But then of course there isn't a position available. Um, so one of the things that um, I really look to do, we did this, I did this once back in, Bank, back in Vancouver actually and I worked for a company was, we sought out opportunities that they could practice leadership in volunteer capacities. And actually myself, I, I also expressed the, want, the desire to be a leader uh, and many years ago, and I worked with, with my, my own lead at that time, and I became uh, involved in Rotary Clubs and actually became a Rotary Club president. Uh, so in, in some ways, like it also afforded me an opportunity to practice kind of these leadership or leading team or leading people skills uh, in an environment that was outside of work. And so again, being able to bring that experience in as long as well as the experiential learning experience in the cohorts and the self-awareness parts, that really uh, got me opportunities to then apply for or get formal lead positions. And I found that often 
in those cases, sometimes you're with certain organizations, it's it's often good to get a chance to be a leader of a project rather than just a leader of a team right away. Again, because you get that experience of leading teams and driving to a business result rather than being able to, just to take on a team right away where that can be a little overwhelming, especially your first try out. So I think when we've done when I've developed programs, it's trying to follow the 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 person through that journey. So interventions along the way. So even if they are now a new lead, um, having those peer group sessions, peer coaching sessions uh, so that they can talk with again with other new leads in their experience, but also working with their leaders to make sure that the coaching that they're they're giving or, or providing the the new lead is also has some 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 rigor to it and some some consistency more more often than not um, so that, that that person doesn't feel alone and so I think a lot of times it's building that journey out the journey though can make I mean can take quite a long time that person could go through those experiences over a year um, so it's sometimes um, depending on the organization how they how they sort of how their talent management they may say, okay, we want to put this person on that track and that person goes on that track. Oftentimes companies sort of offer these things sort of piecemeal and people can go through them as they sort of go on through their career, but they're not necessarily on a track. Wow. I mean, this is such a good detail. So thank you so much, Simon, for going into the details of this. I love that. I wanted to check this with you as you were sharing this whole idea about uh, leadership or just in general learning as a process and not just an event. I I heard what you just said about different forms of interventions and we talked about cohort and uh, experiential learning and simulation. I, I was reminded of our exchange and interaction when we were in Zalando, when I was in Zalando. I'm still in Zalando, but I think you were there in Zalando. We were having the session <laughs> where perhaps I think it was about this whole simulation, exchanging uh, problems, one faces. Mm. So I, I this kind of just came and popped up in my mind as you were going through this process. But I really enjoyed how you actually gave this as not just one intervention, but a set of interventions that has to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go for it. No, I was just going to say, you know, I, I guess the easiest way for for me to help me think of it as, you know, learning is a process, not a, like there's a couple of things these days that I'm really kind of fascinated by. One is the, the learning is a process, not, uh, not an event. That's been sort of around me for quite a while, but learning is the work and work is the learning. And this idea that, uh, that we, and there's, there's a few thinkers out there that have definitely talked about it uh, and whatnot. Uh, but I would say that this learning is the work and work is the learning is, they're so entwined. We think about how things are moving so quickly and our access to information and what we can do. It's just so quick. And when I think about, though, the particularly the learning is a process, not an event, uh, I have to always think of my brother. So my brother's a personal trainer. He's a very good personal trainer. Um, he's a hard personal trainer and that he's, a, you know, he doesn't let people off the hook. And so he always reminds, remember, uh, reminds me that, you know, like just going to the gym once doing one thing isn't going to get me to the result that I want. And that's true, right? And it's not even going to develop the habit, which we also know is true. Um, but oftentimes it's funny, especially when I'm talking with with leaders or people that are trying to say, ah, oh, but we need, we need some sort of training. They often forget, even though for themselves, I think they 
recognize that learning is a process and not an event. But we often forget, we often replace it with, oh, if we just have a webinar and oh, if we just have an e-learning course, it's, if we just do that, it, it'll be solved. It's like, actually, no, it's going to take a little bit longer. And and one of the one of the things about the process that we don't talk about is enough is measurement about measuring that that success or the progress of one person's ability to you know take on new knowledge, uh, develop a new skill in this fast paced sort of thing. One of the big things is that people need to be have a way to sort of show that they're they're progressing not only for their self confidence to feel like they're they're you know they're they're achieving something they're accomplishing something. But also from a standpoint of like being able to develop these skills that if an organization is looking to make a, a multi-million dollar investment in learning and development initiatives and, and interventions, are 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 they can we show some progress in how people are are doing so that we know that the money is well spent and that we're getting the, the results that we want. And that's sometimes um that helps to remind us that that you know that that learning is a process, and to expect just some magical results from events and things like that, it can be quite dangerous, and it can be costly in the long run. Yeah, I think I I, tot- I totally agree with that, and I think it's an, it is an important learning that one can take from this whole point about learning being a process and not an event. So, if there are people out there in the world who are looking at you know, helping their employees to upskill, to get trained or bring new leaders or groom new leaders. How do you think they should change the way they are thinking about this when you, by the fact that learning is a process and not an event? So what would be the shift in their mind by this, by this phrase? What, what mm-hmm. will be the effect of this and how do you want them to think through this now? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say I would seem to be uh, maybe the the shift in thinking and it's not as if it's um, it's not as if it's you know black and white in terms of like okay, it's absolutely one way or the, it's not one way or the other, I should say, but it is definitely where you, um, I think leaders need to think about that, that, that process of learning. I don't want to say, you know, takes time is true. It's going to take some time, but, um, it's easy to feel good about investing in, in, in events for a lot of reasons. You know, you can invest in in events of learning and whether it's like, okay, look, we have a, we've, we've done, you know, you may hear this sometimes, we've done workshops for everybody about this topic. Okay, that's true. Or we've designed this e-learning and everybody takes this e-learning. Again, very true. But I think if companies can get really excited about the outcomes of what those events build up to and get and really think about celebrating them, celebrating the outcomes of, you know, we've had, you know, we've we've got now, we hire only internal, uh, or we hire the majority of our leadership is internal people that have come through our programs because we have taken, you know, we have developed this process of creating leaders within our organizations that are feeding our needs for leaders within the organization. Very powerful. That's an outcome-based sort of celebration as opposed to we have a fantastic leadership course or we have a fantastic leadership, even a fantastic leadership program. 
I love them to hear them talk about them as we have a fantastic leadership program that has done X. Um, you know, that has produced X, that has offered, you know, X. We can oftentimes, I think, celebrate the quantity in learning and development very easily. We do that even, even in, in global metrics in terms of how much money do we spend on people, how much, uh, how many courses do people attend, as opposed to some of the desired outcomes. Have we, de have we actually been able to achieve desired outcomes? And they're but be fair, they're hard. They're a lot longer to um, to measure. Like it's, it takes a little bit more time, obviously. But if I think about think about the effects of automation and all of these, what I read about in a lot of organizations about the retraining that would need that's going to need to come in order to prepare um, workers for this kind of world and this kind of environment. Um, my hope is that we measure the outcomes that those people are able to develop the job-related skills or knowledge that they need in order to change or digit, uh, become more digital or to, or to work beside automation. Uh, and hopefully those outcomes become the things that are the, are the focus on. And when those outcomes become the thing, I think the process will nonetheless, will be, it'll be regarded as in order to achieve that outcome, there's going to be a few things that we need to, to do to make them happen. Mm, so focus on the outcomes rather than just a, a set of events. And you mentioned about measurement. Uh, so mm -hmm. what is the impact of the events? And I think uh, what I really liked is the point about, you know, it becomes easy for people to just say, we invested this much money for that workshop, for a conference. Yeah. But we don't take, okay, what happened after that? And how does that add up to mm. the overall skill development of that individual? And can we see this? being positively affecting their performance. Yeah. I see what where you're going with this, but I want to really focus on some of your experiences and the way you see this whole field, especially that you have been for, as you said, in the in your initial introduction, in learning and development for over 20 years. So what has changed for you in the process of setting up and organizing learning and development, executing learning and development programs for organizations mm -hmm. over the last 20 years, especially the recent years from the time that you started, mm -hmm. except perhaps the biggest one was, you know, the massive push to online yeah. learning thanks to COVID. Um, but what is what are some of the obvious and non-obvious transitions that you have seen? over this long period of time? Yeah. I mean, I would say that probably the, uh, so the obvious transitions has been the, obviously the influx of technology and how technology has really uh, revolutionized um, learning and development. I mean, if I think 20 years ago, um, I think I was still doing, yeah, I still was doing some CD-ROM. I wasn't developing it, but I was taking some CD-ROM courses myself um so i mean it, it's we're obviously technology and the network capability of 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 learning is just taken off it, it's coincided with you know evolutions in things like learner experience so lx is a thing now you know it's just not ux it's lx so learning experience is a thing 
where it becomes a focus on how learners are experiencing um, or interacting with the technology with each other. You look at MOOCs, massively open online courses. It's unbelievable what you can take in this world now. It's it's absolutely phenomenal what you can take um, all online. And it's really democratized a lot of learning. And some big institutions, big, large universities are hopping on board with these technologies and really participating. So content is just all over the place and that and it's it's available and it's anywhere. And what's also coupled with that, I would say, is the fact that you've got content everywhere through technology, but you also have shifting learner requirements, if you will. So learner requirements is sort of the old language I would use around e-learning before. It's like, what are the learner requirements? And I would really try to figure out you know, what kind of computer did they sit at? And what did what CD-ROM did they have? And what type of software were they running? Because that would often dictate how we or how we couldn't design certain e-learning when we were developing it. So now, of course, it's it's ubiquitous. I've got, you know, we've got uh, what we call subject matter experts. Everybody can produce content fairly quickly, right? I'm not saying that anybody can do a podcast predict, but I'm just saying anybody can produce <laughs> content. <laughs> so, I wish I wish everybody does yeah. that. Yeah, but but it is true, right? It, it it's absolutely democratized it. Yeah. And, which comes with of course also the other side of it in terms of okay, what actually makes sense for you? Like if you're so the skills of curation, which is an interesting term but I really like it because it fits the bill. So a curator being like let's, you know, like a museum has a has a curator. They're curating. They're looking at what should go in the museum and what shouldn't? What makes mm. sense based upon the exhibitions? Well, learning curation be has is this thing now. It's definitely a skill. It's like, how do you curate all that content that's out there and make it palatable for your audience? Like, so if you're working for a company and you're in an L&D area, there's just so much available out there. Um, you can't keep up with it. But how can you curate the content so that whatever is coming into the, the line of sight for people, at least at the, in the in the office is done in a way that makes sense based upon, I don't know, the roles you're looking for, the skills you're developing for. Um, so therefore, curation becomes a skill set that's very important in L&D folks these days than it was from before, uh, 20 years ago. In terms of some of the things that, that, that stay the same, which are both frustrating but also necessary, are things like, for example, learning management systems. So learning management systems are these I've been around forever. There's 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 everything from Moodle, which is basically free, to the Chable, which is one of the best ones in there that you can buy, hooked up to you know most human resources information systems now, HRMs, they also have connections with learning management systems. Then there's these new players on the market. Uh, one of them is called Degreed, and they're a learning experience system where they're really focused on how do we empower the learner as opposed to um, administer learning in the organization, which an LMS was traditionally sought to do. So basically an LMS is where you plug in whatever courses you have on offer and people go to it and they sign up or they take it, the online course, and there's their little transcript that exists. Well, now this learning, these new learning experience systems are actually trying to produce a different type of experience rather than just an interaction or a record keeping system. And that's different because a lot of learning development professionals, like I said before, are really focused on quantity of measurement as opposed to quality of measurement. It's harder to get quality of measurement, and not that many people are, are sometimes interested in it beyond the learning development function. 
So that for them, then learning management systems have been the bread and butter. Well, that's hopefully somewhat changing a little bit. Another side that is really thought of is facilitation. And, you know, facilitating learning hasn't necessarily um, changed, but the way and the methods you have. So obviously, COVID has brought up our lovely world of whether you use, you know, uh, Google Meet or you use Microsoft Teams or Zoom to deliver these live sessions, you can do so. There's lovely collaboration tools that are also available out there. I've become a Miro fan. If you know what Miro boards are, they're like my my favorite thing because you can have full-on interactions with people in online environments with that, but there's lots of them out there. So, so how facilitation is done is obviously at the moment very much changed, but um, the, the, in terms of the core skills around asking questions, getting people to participate, the, the methods have maybe changed in terms of online, but they haven't changed in terms of what we need and how to, how to get people engaged, and that's important, and how to maintain that, um, that focus on getting people engaged. And that's, uh, those things haven't changed in learning development, and I don't think they will. The other thing, the only last thing I would probably say is in terms of um, learning and development as a function in the 20 years, I would say we're definitely on the upswing. Uh, probably in the last in the last five to ten years, learning development has definitely been more on an upswing as organizations really become conscious of, you know, how do they go digital and how how is that digitalization going to impact this and the, the employee base in terms of the skills required uh, to do their jobs, as well as uh, learning development is really kind of now as as talent management has taken form. So talent management is, you know, what what do we have in terms of the talent in the organization? What is the talent that we're going to need to have? And how do we fill that gap? And filling that gap, one of the ways to do that is learning development programs. So like I was speaking before about leadership programs, if we know that there's a, you know, leadership is, you know, maybe maybe you have an older leadership base that, you know, is going to definitely leave the organization or, you know, you're growing as an organization, you're going to need to have more junior leaders available. Talent management helps to really um, work with learning and development to get those things going earlier. And that probably wasn't as connected through data as it is today. Mm. Well, I think you basically shared a whole re whole spectrum of transitions across the plate. Um, I want to bring back the point that you had initially mentioned about where the concept of soft skill and hard skill came from, this whole mm -hmm. US military. And you had mentioned a very interesting line, if I remember it, was they had to focus or US military had to focus of enabling or developing the skills and making the soldiers learn in the heart of battle. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, this battle today yeah. in 2021 for the regular Joes like us who are not fighting on the front line is fighting to get attention or to be attentive. So for me, one of the challenges I see personally about learning is the general low attention that a lot of professionals get into, especially when our schedules are organized around meetings, meetings or interactions, um, dopamine hits uh, all across on through social network, YouTube, 
So what I hear, what I would love to know from you as a learning and development professional is, for me, uh, if we see ourselves as the soldiers in a war, where mm. the war is about getting our attention, how do you, as a learning and development professional, address the problem of getting people to upskill and learn when you have infinite sources of information and infinite sources of things that can take away attention from you example um for some including mine i can't focus on a content for 2 to 3 minutes straight i get distracted i read something or i go to twitter or whatever and i come back so obviously my attention is spread how how do you see as a learning and development professional as a as attention and the low attention as a problem and what are your thoughts about actually making sure we can create a world where low attention or the attention issues that we have can be addressed through the learning and development uh models that you are working with organizations so far in your career oh my goodness that is <laughs> I'm that, sorry I had to go through a long story to no. get to the heart of what I was trying yeah. to say. <laughs> no, that's a that's one heck of a challenge. You know, I, as you were talking, I was thinking about attention spans because I wanted to make mention of it before but I I I I think the thing is I've I guess for me I've just accepted that that's become a reality. Mm. And it's just it's 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 a hard one. You know, we always, you know, I talk about, I have a nephew, he's, he's gonna, he's nine now. His attention span is not the longest. I actually had to teach him over COVID. So we were having a little workshop <laughs> twice a week over mm. COVID. And it usually at the end had to go to a video game because he just couldn't handle spending time with me. It was, it was too much to focus. And as a learning and development professional, I've already seen this happening. So for example, how e-learning is developed, um, it, it, most of the tools that you use now to build e-learnings are all engagement things. So they're just mm. like, how do I pump engagement in this so people don't just sit there and get bored, right? So there's one thing that's happening. Gamification. You might have heard that term before. Gamification. Can we give people stars and badges and little memorable things in order to keep them engaged? And gamification has come in so many parts of our our lives. Um I'm just waiting for it to come into the health sector more. But actually, in the health sector, what am I saying? Gamification is used in my by my um, Krankenkasse here in Germany, my health provider. They use gamification so that if I do certain things, I get certain points and I get certain rewards. So in the same way, I look at that in terms of learning and development. We've definitely used gamification before in terms of helping um, to incentivize people for completing learning pathways like so that basically learning pathways is they've completed a series of learning interventions um we also definitely um in terms of the attention sometimes certification or 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 assessment is used to help to keep people's attention i.e there's going to be a test at this so you don't want to fail that test because if you fail that test you're going to have to do it over again so in order to avoid that one of the things will be is to pay attention during the class or be pay pay attention during the the um whatever learning intervention you have right so that often also can become a technique that's used um i think though at the heart of it though and i don't know about you but whenever i in my life have either 
picked up a book, started reading something online, started watching a video, even if it was longer than three minutes, and the subject matter connected to what was something inside me that motivated me, I usually gave it the time. I usually would give it the time. Not to say it always, but it would usually give it the time. If it connected to my intrinsic motivation, I think it you you're more likely to give it the time. And that's sort of been studied and looked at and, and thought over. I, I think it's harder and harder. It becomes harder and harder because of just the nature of our world and how fast things are coming at us. But another thing I would say for learning development professionals to do is is finding ways to connect to people's intrinsic motivation rather than ex just the extrinsic motivation through campaigns or marketing or gamification. And I found that maybe probably more so in the in the leadership development front, people have an intrinsic motivation to learn and 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 will recognize the, the need for the concentration because they are motivated by their desire to get somewhere and to be somewhere. And if you can try to tap that with other opportunities, um, with other learning, that's great. Um, it can't always be done. Sometimes you just, you know, um, sometimes you just have to also recognize and try to make things as entertaining as possible. But if you can tap into that intrinsic motivation, that I think can go a long way. Brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, I'm just thinking we could have we could just easily spend hours talking about this whole low attention span and learning goals. Yeah. I have so much to talk to you about it. But yeah, <laughs> time is not infinite and I don't want to keep you uh, on this call for that long a time at the moment. I want to get in the last final stretches of our conversation today. Um, so if I am someone listening to this conversation and said, hey, I'm, I, I'm excited to also influence positively how people learn, help them really grow into their best versions of what they think of themselves to be in an organizational environment. Uh, what path do I pursue? What experiences do you feel one or I should have to be able to get into this field? Mm. Yeah, that's a good, uh, there's a, I mean, there's a couple of routes um, that one can go to get into learning and development. And some people often speak about how they fell into it. Uh, I, I don't, I, I chose it. I chose it. I got into it because there was a one year maternity leave uh, position available. Uh, so maternity leave coverage for for a position as a training officer uh, at my at the com the first company I worked with, which is a uh, big financial institution in Canada. And I they were trained. They wanted to train their people on the customer relationship management system that they installed. Well, the great thing was, one, the boss that I had really drilled it into us. So she really drilled it into us in terms of learning the system, which made me a good, very functionally good. And then the other thing was is that I had real, I had, I enjoyed speaking with people and presenting and helping people learn things um, because that's part of what my job was at, at the financial institution. I'd help people with their finances. So I reckon, I think one of the things, if you're, if you're looking to get into this industry, look at, um, look at the transferable skills that you already have and how they could be used in that setting. So I knew I could present well and I knew 
I had good knowledge of the system. So I sought opportunities within my own company for that. That that is usually that's one way a tech that that's more of a technical trainer or training deliverer. That's more of those roles that you can get those opportunities. Um, sometimes they come more short term or on projects. That's another great way is that oftentimes projects will be rolled out and they'll be looking for people to help with the education or training component of that project. And so therefore, that's one way to get into it. The other way is for a lot of people, they do um, more of the traditional HR backed educations. So there's either certified um, HR programs that are available like in different countries throughout the world. CIB, uh, CIPD, for example, in England is one of them. And they have lots about learning and development as well as HR. Some people take degrees in HR or in organizational psychology and things like that. Um, and that those will provide some of the basics in terms of, for example, understanding adult learning theories, what those interventions or behavior or leadership programs could look like, how the tie-in works with talent management. So if those people have gone that route, then they can find themselves there. If people haven't done that kind of education, maybe they got it, maybe they're in economics, maybe they're in engineering, they want to go that route. So learning development is really a lot by learning uh, adult learning theories. So getting a handle on adult learning theories. And there's lots of programs out there. That's one of the programs I took uh, back in Canada. There was a provincial instructor's diploma program. And there's lots of programs that are sort of instructor certification programs. Um, so that's one way to do it. Get used to or get, get to know some of the digital tools that are out there for learning. So um, and, and take some courses like uh, I... I attended a, I attended a lot of sessions that use Zoom, and I I learned how to facilitate using Zoom through those sessions. So, learning how some of the e-learning tools that are out there, there's there's uh, the biggest ones are from Adobe, but then also a company called Articulate. They have uh, really awesome e-learning programs designed for people that are more trainers and not more tech um, savvy. So that helps like for people like me. That was helpful um, in terms of also getting into the into these different sort of roles, uh, highly, especially if you're in an organization, talk to the people within the L&D function within your organization, because sometimes the pathway to those teams or into those areas would be um, maybe a bit different. So it, it's, it always pays to, to have a talk with them. And finally, your communities. I think there's, we, we all probably have more to share than we realize. And so finding ways to facilitate a workshop or present or help train somebody uh, about a topic is, is some of the best ways that you can get used to just what we're talking about and how to design, um, uh, whether it's a little workshop or a little presentation and getting used to that. That goes a long way in terms of some of the the, the junior roles in this. And um, yeah, I mean, I think whether it's, a lot of volunteer organizations are looking for people that can help them in various uh, facets. And it could be based upon your own skill set or your prior work knowledge. Uh, but it also could just be on your own life skills that you want to share. I think that's that's big. And um, but but definitely in terms of the career paths that gone into these roles, uh, there's it's pretty varied through the technical routes or the education routes. But You'd be surprised when you give a talk to the people in your organization, how they got there. There might be a different path that uh, I haven't been able to cover. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much, Simon. It was really, I think it's really useful 
especially the way you mentioned about the various routes one can take to get into this i think it'll be fantastic for every anyone who who is interested into that and want to pursue and create create a career out of it um i don't want to end this conversation without asking if you have any recommendations for books blogs or podcasts that you enjoy or you have learned from or has influenced your thinking uh is there something that you can share with, with the audience oh yeah there's a there's a few i'm just trying to so one definite highlight for me and somebody i've followed for uh quite a while um is modern workplace learning so it's actually just modernworkplacelearning.com and it's run by a woman named Jane Hart she has been a presenter she's been presenting she's in from the UK she's presented also throughout Europe but the thing that i love about her work is it really helps to um when you when you're sort of learning about what does workplace learning mean she can provide that concept of what the modern workplace learning is about about building this idea of continuous learning not just again this learning as a process rather than event um and developing self learners so there's an actual like you can actually download and and read a lot of things from her in terms of improving your own capability of learning and and in in a workplace environment as well so i definitely would say i would follow her um in terms of some of like the bigger uh players out there the cipd.co.uk uh i love their organization they um they are able to provide you know more than just hr related topics so it's really about also professional development uh and your professional development as as a people development person so just a word to the wise learning development will often be called people development in the world so it's important to sort of be able to check out um those two areas in terms of all oh, bloggers and and um Harold Josh uh Josh sorry is is somebody that would be on my Twitter feed he he's actually uh speaks to this you know work is the learning and learning is the work concept so uh he's uh he's he's also from Canada happens to be from Canada and but he also spends a lot of time in um Europe speaking but was also in the military so he has that interesting background of also having seen some of the the learning and development techniques as gone through the through the um through the military but he speaks often chimes about our world as a networked world and um it's almost like a futurist in how he speaks about uh topics around learning so i think that's another uh big one to hit other than that i'm just trying to think if i'm missing any if you're into the like if you get into the the learning and development um or sorry the e-learning development world articulate if you're really kind of curious about how to develop e-learning or you maybe you're a person a somebody that's a real kind of uh subject matter expert and wants to start creating their own e-learning definitely the articulate.com has a couple of blogs that you can follow about how to make it really easy as a subject matter expert to turn what you know into learning so that's also i think a really good one that you uh that you would want to look at for sure and what else is there i'm just trying to think about my about my good old list of stuff hmm what's really influenced me in the last little while well actually there's there's probably one more i'm thinking about uh, a book that i'm reading at the moment that i would probably recommend 
for people that are sort of getting into this industry, especially as they're trying to help other people think differently. It's a book called Think Again by Adam Grant. I don't know if you've heard, you've probably heard of Adam Grant before from, yeah. But I've been reading, um, I've been reading Think Again. And to me, I find that it's a, it's a really good book about the power of what you don't know. And that old, uh, the old concept, we don't know what we don't know. And sometimes in learning development, uh, our jobs are to help people uncover or discover the things that they don't know that they don't know so that they can become, it's the things that they don't know that they know they don't know and and hopefully educate them to, to get them better on it. But so this one I'm finding, I'm, I'm enjoying right now in terms of being able to think uh, quite differently. And uh, maybe one last one, because I can't, I can't leave her out. Uh, Carol Dweck's The Power of... Um, uh, growth uh, mindsets or so growth and fixed mindset. So her TED talk on growth and fixed mindset talks quite a lot about um, the mindset of individuals in terms of uh, with the growth mindset, the individual is is geared towards challenge, accepting challenge, embracing it as, as something to grow from versus fixed is more determinist and not, not being able to go past that. And I think that is becoming increasingly important for people as they're sort of, you know, adjusting to the rapid change of the world is to be able to maintain, uh, identify when maybe they're in a fixed mindset or about something and then change it back to a growth mindset, but able to maintain that growth mindset um, in order to be able to take on some of those challenges. We talk a lot about in these days, there's a lot of talk about things like resilience and um, uh, uh, training and being able to people to get through things. And I think that the growth mindset really helps us think about how maybe shifting in mindset can really help one dealing with some of the challenges, especially nowadays that we're faced with to sort of look at them in a different light and hopefully look at the possibilities or solutions rather than just sort of the, the setbacks or the detriments that come from it. Mm. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Simon. I think these are wonderful, wonderful resources and uh, recommendations. I, so, I, I enjoyed this conversation really so much. And I'm just thinking of the topics that we can go deep into. And I'm yeah. really looking forward for getting you again back on the show or another podcast where we can really go deeper into topics. Um, sure. For people who would like to reach out to you, what is the right forum and right medium for them to do so? Well, uh... So from a professional stance, so it's I'm at I'm I'm on LinkedIn, so it's under uh, Simon uh, can be under Simon Fulber F U L B E R under LinkedIn if you re reach out. I like to do that there. Um, if you, I mean, I'm not a I'm not a big a tweeter as I should be, but I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm at at Sven, which is S V E N Fulber F U L B E R, all one word. And yes, Sven is my middle name, so that's the the handle I chose. <laughs> but actually, on on Twitter, there when I think about um, people in the learning development sphere, uh, yeah, I uh, I often get a lot of what I am curious about uh, in L and D through Twitter. So yeah, so if you want to connect with me there, and then I can always pop a few lists there from there. But uh, I think Twitter is a lot of people yelling at each other, wanting to get heard, and I'm listening. So. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Simon. I uh, really enjoyed this conversation and we should definitely connect again uh, and also go deeper into the topics that we spoke about today.
yeah well absolutely let's let's make a let's make a plan of that and uh, thanks for having me on please subscribe to the podcast in your shoes on the podcast channel including apple podcast spotify overcast pocket cast and others to know more please visit www.inyourshoes.com that is i n u r shoes.com